This evening, we're continuing our overview of the Old Testament book titled Nehemiah. With this as the focus, if you would, let's open our Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 6. And as you make your way to the sixth chapter of Nehemiah, I should take a moment to remind you that Nehemiah was the man that the Lord raised up to lead the nation of Israel into a time of political revival. Unfortunately for him, his calling came with a great deal of conflict as the enemies of Israel tried to stop Nehemiah from securing the borders that surrounded Jerusalem. Uh, This all began when the leaders of the Gentile nations, they showed up and they began to mock the Israelites who were there working on the wall. And then when the insults failed to discourage the people of God, that's when the Gentile leaders then returned with the Samaritan army. And it was at that point in time when insults quickly turned into intentional intimidations. And yet the Jews continued to rebuild the wall under the directions of Nehemiah. In response to their resolve, that's when the leaders of the Gentiles, they returned with the armies of the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites. And after surrounding Jerusalem, they prepared to engage in a sneak attack. And thankfully for the people of God, well, this evil scheme of the enemy was exposed. And in this way, the Lord then enabled them to continue rebuilding the wall under the leadership of Nehemiah. Well, now here in our text tonight, we find the enemies of Israel attempting to assassinate Nehemiah so that they might, you know, cause the people to fail in their fortification of the city walls there uh, in Jerusalem. And as we consider the way that they continued creating conflict for the people of God, well, it's crucial for every Christian to realize that the devil and his demons, our enemy, well, the, the enemy is constantly causing conflict within the church so that, you know, the work of the Lord might be hindered so that we might be discouraged and give up, throw in the towel and walk away. With that being the case, we would do well to consider Nehemiah's example so that we might all stay on course, you know, according to the calling of Christ. And with this as the focus, let's continue to make our way through Nehemiah's account. If you would look with me here at Nehemiah chapter 6, we're going to begin our study there at verse 1. Here we learn that it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall And that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hung the doors in the gates, that Sambalat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. Now here in the beginning of this chapter, we learn about the way in which the enemies of Israel, they were taking one last stab at it. They They were trying one last time to stop Nehemiah from completing the work on the wall, which would provide the people of Jerusalem with further protection from their enemies. And and it's here in these verses where we're introduced to these Gentile leaders who were leading this charge against Nehemiah. This group included Sambalat the Horonite. And I'll remind you that this was the governor of Samaria. And seeing how Samaria was just 40 miles north of Jerusalem, Well, Sambalat decided that he was going to do everything that he could to stop Nehemiah from finishing this wall of fortification because he wanted this sort of power over the people of God. The second name that we find here in our text tonight is Tobiah the Ammonite. And while we aren't sure exactly what position he held, there are many who speculate that he must have been the governor of Ammon. And seeing how Ammon was just on the other side of the Jordan River from Jerusalem, Tobiah the Ammonite was also determined to stop this fortification of Jerusalem because he also wanted power over the people of God. 
The third name that's found on this list of usual suspects, it's Geshem the Arab. And and while Nehemiah never gave us Geshem's official title, uh, there are those who believe that he was the chief of the Arabs. So this may have been the the head leader over uh, the Arab nations. Now we should also notice there in verse 1 where Nehemiah refers to the rest of their enemies. The rest of their enemies. And, and, and when we go back into, like, uh, say, chapter uh, uh, 5, I believe it was, where we are introduced to the Arabs, the Ammonites, and also the Ashdodites, who were actually uh, Philistines. Uh, and, and so, in other words, this list of enemies, it, it included the armies of the Gentile nations, which were surrounding the land of Judah. They had enemies on every side surrounding them. And it's here in our text tonight where we learn that they were attempting to lure Nehemiah into a place called Oh No. Why? Because they were trying to kill him. Oh no. Yeah, the enemy was trying to lure Nehemiah to Oh No because they wanted to do him harm. And listen, it's in similar fashion that the devil and his demons are constantly trying to lure Christians away from their church, and they're trying to lure the, 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 the believer from, from having biblical boundaries which actually provide us with protection. Uh, for example, I'll, I'll just remind you of something that the Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5. It's verse 8 where the Apostle Peter declares, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. In other words, our enemy is on the hunt, like a lion that's looking for easy prey. You know, that's what lions do. They, they look for the easy prey. They look for the, the prey that's easily picked off. And it's for this reason that Peter encouraged us to stay sober. Why? Well, because people who aren't sober are easily picked off. The sober Christian is less likely uh, to fall for the evil schemes of Satan because they're clear-headed, they're sober-minded. Conversely, the buzzed believer is more easily lured into the traps that the enemy uses to lead us back into the bondage of sin. And one reason why is because, you know, when, when we turn to alcohol, when we turn to drugs, when we, when we don't remain sober, our inhibitions are lowered and we start making decisions that we wouldn't normally make when we are sober. And so Peter says, hey, stay sober. Be sober and vigilant because there is an enemy, the devil, and he's looking to pick you off. We'd all do well to stay close to the biblical border of sobriety so that we can become those believers who are both sober and vigilant, being watchful as we continue to fortify our lives against the deceptive schemes of Satan. One of the best ways to maintain our sobriety is by focusing our energy where it ought to be focused. We need to focus our energy on the work that the Lord has called us to accomplish. And what this has the goal is turn our attention back to the situation that's found here in Nehemiah chapter 6. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 3. Here Nehemiah writes, So I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner. Now here in these verses, we learn about the way that Nehemiah avoided uh, falling for the enemy's evil scheme. Four times they sent this invitation, hey, come, come join us in Ono. But rather than going and meeting with them, rather than going and attempting to find some compromise between them and their enemies, Nehemiah stayed focused on the work that the Lord had given him to accomplish. The Lord didn't call him to go and, uh, and, and negotiate agreements with their enemies. That's not Nehemiah's calling here. No, he, he was called to build this wall. 
And so he continued to keep, keep his mind focused on the work that the Lord had called him to accomplish. And in this way, he was able to evade the trap that was being set for him. I can't help but to think of the way that the Lord Jesus also dealt with the evil scheme of Satan who was trying to entrap him. And we actually find this in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. Here we learn that the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. I hear in these verses, we find the devil, he's tempting the humanity of Jesus Christ. And he did this by presenting him with a pain-free path for becoming the king of the earth. He, he was saying, hey, here's a pain-free plan of acquiring all the kingdoms of, of the earth without dying on the cross. The devil was attempting to disqualify Christ Jesus by deceiving our Savior with this satanic scheme. But rather than accepting this deceptive invitation, and rather than bowing his knee to Satan, Jesus recognized that this was nothing more than a satanic trap, which would actually keep him from accomplishing his mission. And we can rejoice in knowing that he avoided this trap, and, and, and rather than falling for this deceptive scheme, Jesus refocused his attention on the work that the Father sent him to accomplish. He fixed his focus back on the work that the Lord called him to accomplish. And, and in light of his example, we can see that the best way to avoid these, these traps of the enemy or these schemes of Satan is by simply becoming those believers who are focusing our faith on the Lord as we worship and serve him according to our calling in Christ. At the same time, it's also important for us to ignore the false accusations that the enemy loves to make against those who uh, you know, get serious about serving the Lord. And with this as the focus, let's pick up our study of Nehemiah chapter 6. I want to begin reading there at verse 5. Here we learn that Sambalat sent his servant to me as before the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, there is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. Now, here in these verses, we find Samballah. He's sending this letter to, you know, to uh, to Nehemiah the fifth time. And, and we should notice here that he sent his servant with an open letter in his hand. That's what we learned there in, in the middle of verse five, that the letter was open in the hand of his servants. Typically, a leader would send another leader a sealed letter, which would then uh, keep others from reading the contents. But this letter was sent without a seal, and, and this was actually a sign of disrespect. Not only that, but this also seems to have been Sam Ballot's way of allowing the contents of this letter to be read by his servant or, or anyone else along the way who was given access to this letter. They could simply open it and read it and see what it said. And in order to understand the reason for why Sam Ballot sent this letter unsealed, well, it's probably because he was using this as a way to spread rumors about Nehemiah. He probably wanted people to read this so they go, oh, Nehemiah thinks he's the king now. In order to make my case, let's take another look there at verse 6. Here we find the contents again of this letter, which reads, It is reported among the nations. And Geshem says, So all the nations and Geshem are saying that you and the, and the Jews plan to rebel. 
Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. He's arrived at the conclusion. There's no question in his mind. The whole reason for rebuilding the wall was so that Nehemiah could become king. And in verse 7, you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, there is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. Saying, yeah, we, we, we've heard rumors that you've appointed prophets to announce you as the king in Judah, and I'm going to go tell King Artaxerxes that that's what's happening. Samballot was inadvertently accusing Nehemiah of attempting to usurp the authority of King Artaxerxes by becoming the king of Israel. But rather than coming right out and accusing Nehemiah of this political insurrection, he instead appeals to the rumors and the things that he had heard uh, according to uh, you know, all the reports that are going about the nations. And yet he's the one spreading this rumor. He, he's the one spreading this rumor with this open letter. Now listen, I, I recognize that the words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, which we love to consume. Mm. Good juicy rumor. Just love to hear it, don't you? And, and, and you know, when we get the, hey, did you hear? Have you heard the such and such did so and so and these sorts of things? And yeah, we love to hear it. And yet we must also realize that the rumors that typically make their way into our ears are oftentimes half-truths, which are what? Whole lies. A half-truth is a whole lie. Therefore, when the talebearer comes to us with the rumors that are being spread by the nameless masses, all the nations are saying it. You know, all the social media accounts said it, so it's got to be true, right? We do well to remember that this is actually one of Satan's evil schemes to get us distracted. That's right, the devil and his demons love to use the rumor mill as they attempt to undermine the work of the Lord. And it's sad to say that there are many Christians who are happy to spread the rumors that they hear because they don't have the discernment that it takes to realize that they're simply spreading the sinful seeds of Sanballat's open letter. That's all they're doing. They're taking Sanballat's open letter and saying, oh, let me see what this says. Oh, did you get this? Did you get your copy? With that being the case, it's crucial for Christians to remember what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4. There he declares, speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. Christian, listen, before we agree to share the rumor that we just heard with anybody else that's willing to listen, we should take a moment to ask, is it true? Is what I heard or is what I just read true? And just to be clear, the question, is it true, it's different from the question, did the tellbearer think that it was true? Because, listen, you can hear something from somebody else, and, and, and you trust them, and so therefore you think it must be true because they're trustworthy. They wouldn't tell me anything that's not true. Well, how do you know they weren't deceived? They might think it's true, but that doesn't mean it is true. So the first thing that we ought to ask is, is it true? possible that the person who presented us with the rumor, they, they weren't telling us the truth, though they probably thought it was true. Listen, just because you hear a rumor from the nameless masses doesn't make it true. Just because a bunch of people are saying it doesn't make it true. And so it's important for us to ask, is this information true? And, and with that, you have to ask, what's the evidence? Like, like, is there any evidence backing this up? And if not, it's probably something that doesn't need to be shared. At the, t at, the, at the same time, we should also ask this, is it loving? 
Paul says that we should be speaking the truth in love. Is it loving if I share this information with others? You see, a person can share true information, but with evil intentions. People can share true information, but with the intention of you know, defaming the person they're talking about or, 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 or hurting you know, what, what it is that they're trying to accomplish. But that being the case, it's crucial for Christians to remember that we've been called to speak the truth in love. And remember, love chooses to cover a multitude of sins. And so the question we ought to ask before we share that little tasty trifle, uh, is it loving? And in other words, am I helping to cover a multitude of sins right now? Or am I seeking to expose someone that the Lord has forgiven? Now, as we continue to consider the way that Samballot was using this open letter to create this rumor mill in order to undermine the work of God, we must not fail to notice the uh, the way that Nehemiah included the content of this deceptive letter in his account as he sought to expose the lies of Sanballat. That's right. Nehemiah dealt with the deception of Sanballat by addressing the rumor straight on. And he includes the letter right here in this book. I love it. In this way, he's actually shining the light of the truth on this evil scheme of Sanballat. And not only that, but he also accused Samballot of being the one to start this rumor. As a matter of fact, if you wouldn't, let's pick up our study of Nehemiah chapter 6. We'll begin reading there at verse 8. Here Nehemiah writes, Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. For they all were trying to make us afraid, saying, Their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Here in these verses, we find Nehemiah. He's flat out rejecting the rumor, and he did this by accusing Samballot of inventing this deception within his own heart. We also see Nehemiah also exposing the enemy's evil intention, and he did this by insisting that all they were trying to do was weaken the the hands of those who were working on the wall. They were trying to make the people of God too afraid to follow the leadership of Nehemiah. The, the, the scheme here is, well, we're going to go tell King Artaxerxes that Nehemiah is engaging in an insurrection, and if you're on his side, then you're going to get punished alongside of him. And they were hoping that this would just kind of bring the whole work to a stop. Well, Nehemiah exposes this, and after exposing the evil scheme of Samballot, Nehemiah then turns his attention back to the Lord. And if you would notice again there in the middle of verse 9, here Nehemiah prays, Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. From this, we can see that Nehemiah wasn't going to spend any more of his time on the lies of Samballot. The reason why? Well, it's because the Lord didn't send him to go make friends with the enemies of Israel. The Lord didn't send Nehemiah to go and try to, you know, establish, you know, good relations with the foreign nations surrounding them and these sorts of things. No. Nehemiah was sent to go and build a wall of fortification around Jerusalem. And that's what he needed to do. He didn't need to worry about what everybody around was saying. Well, he didn't need to worry about all the rumors of all the nations and what they thought about him. He needed to accomplish the work that the Lord called him to accomplish. Nehemiah was sent to secure the border wall of Jerusalem. And with this as the goal, he asked the Lord to strengthen him so that he could complete the work. With Nehemiah's example in mind, we would do well to remember that those who want to accomplish our calling in Christ We should spend time praying for the supernatural strength of the Lord. The reason why is because the calling of Christ is way more than any of us can handle in the flesh. 
Think about it. You know, the enemy is attempting to weaken our hands by filling our hearts with fear. At the same time, the Great Commission of Christ is a massive campaign that's way beyond overwhelming. And you better believe that those who try to serve our Savior in the strength of their fallen flesh will quickly burn out and they'll grow weary in well-doing because uh, what the Lord is calling us to do is well beyond our means. And it's for this reason that we should pray every day for the supernatural strength that we need to accomplish the work. And and if we're going to spend all of our time concerning ourselves with how the world views the Christian church and be all worried about that every day, I guarantee you're not going to have the strength to serve the Lord. Why? Because you're too worried about what the world thinks about the church. Is there ever going to be a day in the church age when the unbelieving world thinks, man, the church is really awesome? No. No. Is there ever going to be a day when the unbelieving world isn't starting rumors about the Christian church? Nope. And so if your biggest concern is how does the world view the church, it's like, I mean, we should be concerned to a certain degree that, you know, we're not, you know, giving God a black eye, you know, in the way that we live our lives. And yet at the same time, listen, the unbelieving world doesn't like the church. Let's get over it. Let's, let's get back to the work. Let's get back to the great commission. It, listen, if, if you submit to them, they're not going to like you. And if you don't submit to them, they're not going to like you. So let's just get over it and get back to serving our Savior. Let's, let's ask him for the strength that we need so that we can accomplish his calling. At the same time, we should also pray for the supernatural strength that we need so that we can stand with our Savior. And with this as the goal, let's pick up our study of Nehemiah chapter 6. If you would look with me there beginning at verse 10. Here Nehemiah writes, Afterward I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel. Uh, just so you're not confused about the other Deliah. But this Shemaiah was a secret informer, according to Nehemiah. And he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. Here in these verses, uh, we're introduced to Shemaiah, uh, who was the son of this priest, the priest named Mehetabel. And so he's the son of a priest. And and on the surface, you know, it seems like this man is interested in saving Nehemiah from this assassination plot. There's a group of assassins. They're coming in to kill him that night. And he wants Nehemiah to go and, and seek security within the temple. Seeing how his father was a priest, you know, Shemaiah seems to have had had access to the temple, and so he he encourages Nehemiah to seek refuge there in the temple so that his life might be spared from the evil scheme of Sambalat. And and this advice probably sounded super spiritual and and biblically based. I mean, what better place is there to hide than in in the temple of the living God, right? If you really want refuge, if you really want to seek, you know, the, the, the strong tower of the Lord, then run to the temple. Sounds super spiritual, right? It's not what God wanted from, for him, though. And the Lord actually gave him the divine discernment, which helped him to realize that Shemaiah was actually a spy who was helping the enemies of Israel. And in this way, the Lord was providing Nehemiah with the guidance that he needed so that he could continue accomplishing his assignment rather than showing himself to be a leader who was afraid of the enemy. Now, with this as the focus, I want to consider the way that Nehemiah responds to this spy named Shemaiah. If you will, let's pick up our study of Nehemiah 6. 
We'll begin reading there at verse 11. Here Nehemiah writes, And I said, Should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambal had hired him. For this reason he was hired, that I should be afraid and act that way and sin, so that they might have cause for an evil report that they might reproach me. My God, remember Tobiah and Sambal according to these their works, and the prophetess Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. Here in these verses, we find Nehemiah taking this stand against the sinful scheme of Shemaiah. And while it's true that this man was the son of a priest and a, a, apparently thought himself to be a prophet, well, it's also true that he was working together with Samballot so that they might diminish the leadership of Nehemiah by causing him to flee to the temple in fear. Not only that, but there, there was also this prophetess here uh, and, and several prophets here that are mentioned uh, who were presenting false prophecies uh, against him. And, and, and if you would notice again there in the middle of verse 14 where Nehemiah, Nehemiah refers to the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. That's right, there were several false prophets here in Jerusalem who were encouraging Nehemiah to flee in fear. But rather than following their counsel, he continued to stand and I guarantee you that he was standing in the supernatural strength of the Lord. He had prayed for the strength, and now we find him standing in that strength according to the discernment that the Lord had given to him regarding Shemaiah and these other false prophets. And with all of this in mind, I should take a moment to remind you of the statement that King Solomon presented in Proverbs chapter 29. It's actually found in verse 25. There Solomon declares, the fear of man brings a snare but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Christian, listen, if you're being driven by your fears, then you're also falling into a snare because the fear of man brings a snare. If you're making your daily decisions from the fear of what ifs, you're falling into a snare. You're falling into a trap. Conversely, those who trust in the Lord shall be safe. That's incredible. Those who will simply trust in the Lord shall be safe because the Lord is able to give us discernment so that we can make decisions accordingly. I love the way that uh, the prophet Habakkuk puts it where he declares the just shall live by his faith. The just shall live by his faith. Rather than being driven by our fears of the enemy, uh, let's walk by faith with the Lord Jesus Christ as we prayerfully stand in the strength of our Savior. And in this way, we're going to walk in the victory that the Lord has secured for those who trust in him. To further make my case, uh, I want to continue to consider the example that we find here in Nehemiah chapter 6. So if you would look with me there, beginning at verse 15, here we learn that the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elu, in 52 days, and it happened when all our enemies heard of it, and all the nations around us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. Here in these verses, we learn that it only took 52 days of labor to complete this construction project. 
In other words, from start to finish, it took the Israelites less than two months to complete the the work on the wall there. And in order to put this into a a greater perspective, I should remind you that the first wave of exiles from Babylon, they returned to Israel 93 years earlier. 93 years earlier, those first exiles arrived. Think about that for a moment. The inhabitants of Jerusalem had failed to fortify their capital city for 93 years. And while that wall, you know, wouldn't have stopped all the attacks of the enemy, it certainly would have provided them with another level of protection against the enemy. And yet for 93 years, they just didn't build this wall. It actually took the Lord sending Nehemiah to go and help them build this border wall. And, and from the day he arrived until the day it was completed, two months. And you better believe that the enemies of Israel were disheartened. They thought that they were going to have more time. They thought they were going to be able to stop this whole thing from happening. And yet, when it was completed in less than two months, they knew that the hand of God was on this wall. And so they were disheartened. And that Hebrew word rendered disheartened, it refers to the person who's been cast down. They're depressed. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem and all their armies, they they ended up completely depressed and humbled as they realized that the God of Israel had helped his people to complete this construction project in no time at all. And in this way, we can see how the enemy was cast down, you know, uh, when, when the people of God accomplish the work of God by the power of God. And and same is true here in the church age. The enemy is cast down when believers simply walk in the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And while it's true that the enemies of Israel were disheartened as they watched the Israelites completing that wall, it's also true that there were some Israelites who were also disheartened. There were some Israelites who they didn't see reason to rejoice here. And the reason why, well, it's because their allegiance was still with the wrong community. To prove my point, let's consider the final section of this chapter. If you would look with me there uh, once again at Nehemiah chapter 6, we'll pick up our study at verse 17 where Nehemiah writes, Also in those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and the letters of Tobiah came to them. For many in Judah were pledged to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Jehonanon, had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah. Also, they reported his good deeds before me and reported my words to him. Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. Now, as we consider the final verses of this chapter, it's important for us to remember that Tobiah here, well, this is Tobiah, the Ammonite official, who had been working together with Sanballat and Geshem as they tried to stop Nehemiah from completing the work on the wall. And with that being the case, we should take a moment to ask here, why were the nobles of Judah pen pals with Tobiah? Well, why were they, you know, continuing this communication? Well, if I had to guess, these were probably the same nobles that Nehemiah rebuked back in chapter 5. And the reason why, remember, they had been exacting usury from their less than fortunate brethren with high interest loans. And while it's true that after the rebuke of Nehemiah, they stopped engaging in this sinful practice of usury, well, it's also true that they continued to compromise their own community through the correspondence that they maintained with Tobiah the Ammonite. Yeah, they continued being pen pals with the enemy of Israel. 
Now, on one level, I get it. You know, we learn here that Tobiah was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, who was the son of Era. Not only that, but Tobiah's own son here, Jehonahanan, married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, who was apparently one of the nobles there in Jerusalem. And as we consider these familial connections here, we have a much better understanding about the reason for why they were allowing the enemy of Israel to maintain this influence over the people of God, or at least, uh, uh, you know, influence over the nobles. He was family. He had married in to these families uh, there, there in Israel. And with all this in mind, it's crucial for every Christian to realize that one way that the enemy tries to control us is through the influence of our unbelieving family members. Yeah, one way that the enemy tries to control us is through the influence of our unbelieving family members. And it's sad to say that there are many Christians who are failing to fortify their lives against the attacks of the enemy and for no other reason than because they don't want to offend an unbelieving relative. You know, got to see them at Christmas. Got to see them for the birthdays, you know. So I don't want to strain the relationship. If this is something that you struggle with, and I'm guessing it's something we all struggle with, well, I encourage you to remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, and it's not going to be fun to hear. It's Matthew 10, beginning at verse 34, where Jesus declares, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own, of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life, and he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me, but he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Christian, listen, the, the sword of the Spirit will always create conflict between believers and unbelievers. That's what it does. When Jesus says, I did not come to bring peace on earth, but a sword, I believe he's talking about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the Word of God always brings division between believers and unbelievers. And, and you know, this is difficult, especially, you know, when it comes to relationships with coworkers or, or classmates or old friends or what have you. You know, this, this division is difficult to manage, but it's even more difficult when the truth of God's word starts causing conflict within our families. And, and many of us, you know, struggle with being people pleasers, and, and so what do we do? Well, we start trying to, you know, lessen the, the, the word of God. We, we start trying to diminish what the word of God says. We, we start trying to dismiss what the word of God says for the, the sake of familial relationships. And with that being the case, it's crucial for every Christian to realize that the Lord isn't calling us to compromise our, our Christ-centered convictions in order to keep the peace with relatives. And, and while we might think that's the loving thing to do, it's probably not. Sometimes people need to be offended by the word of God in order for them to get saved. Sometimes people need to be offended by the word of God so that they might start questioning why are they so offended by it. 
The Lord is not calling us to compromise Christ-centered convictions in order to keep peace with relatives. And to the contrary, the Lord is actually calling us to take up the cross as we prepare ourselves to be crucified for our faith in Jesus Christ. And in the context of this passage, we're carrying the cross. Who's doing the hammering? Who's coming with nails in hand? Well, in the context, it looks like it's the family. Sadly, though, there are many Christians in the church today who are following in the footsteps of the Israelites who were allowing the enemy to influence them because of their family connection with Tobiah. They were allowing Tobiah's letters to come in and influence their minds. Why? Well, because, well, he's married to this. It's all family here. We can't just... Careful with that. There are believers who, in a similar yet spiritual way, they're allowing the enemy to influence their decisions simply because they have an unbelieving family member that they don't want to offend, and that unbelieving family member is influencing the family with unbiblical, truth, unbiblical lies, I should say. Christian, listen, we haven't been called to keep the peace at the price of truth. We haven't. And while I'm sure we all would love to have peace with everyone, I, I, I think the desire to, to live a peaceable life is certainly something that most people desire. And yet we haven't been called to keep the peace with family members at the price of truth. Well, instead, we should maintain the biblical boundaries that the Lord has established for us. And yes, even if this ends up causing conflict with the unbelievers, in our families. Please trust me when I tell you that the devil and his demons are constantly looking for ways to lead us astray. And the reason why is because they don't want us serving our Savior with fortified walls of faith. They want to stop us from fortifying our lives with biblical boundaries. And they'll use any number of ways and, and any number of people to, to stop us from fortifying our lives with biblical boundaries. The reason why is because they want to drive us back to Babylon with a heart that's filled with fear so that we live the rest of our lives in bondage to our sin. That being the case, I encourage every Christian, let's make sure that we're seeking the strength of our Savior so that we can follow in the faithful footsteps of Nehemiah who completed that border wall there in Jerusalem. Let's complete the fortification of our lives with biblical boundaries and all for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus.